You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Isaiah chapter 53 is uh, the Old Testament reading. This will have very much a direct connection to the sermon this afternoon from Romans chapter 10. In fact, the very first verse is cited in Romans 10. So this connection is very important to the apostle. And so today I'd like to read this chapter. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds We are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living." For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Romans chapter 10 this afternoon. Romans chapter 10. Text will be verses 14 through 21. To set the context, I'm going to start at verse 4. But again, the text 14 through 21. Let's give our attention to the word of the Lord. Beginning at verse 4, Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And as the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. 
For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now our text. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I asked, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and an obstinate people. All the detail given to us in Romans uh, chapter 10 is here ultimately to answer uh, the question that was raised at the beginning of chapter 9. Has God's word failed because of Israel's unbelief? I believe uh, Paul's responding to something that he knows will uh, be raised, an objection, an objection, a series of Uh, excuses to somehow blame God uh, for the fact that Israel has not believed. Because how easy it would be after uh, hearing all throughout Romans chapter 9 of of God's wonderful, uh, unconditional election, how easy it would be to simply blame God for the fact that Israel has failed to attain. Before us is this uh, grand mystery, uh, this grand mystery of God's uh, powerful, and utter sovereignty in the salvation of the sinner, and yet the sinner's responsibility, as we will see in this text, to repent and to believe the gospel. Many see these as as totally irreconcilable truths and therefore become uh, terribly lopsided, terribly lopsided in in choosing uh, one or the other. Of course, some end up denying uh, the doctrine of eternal predestination and end up in the horrible position that man attains to salvation by his own works and by his own efforts, a total denial of of grace and what we uh, considered this morning. On the other hand, something we're maybe a little more prone to is that since God elects unto salvation, since God has his decree, man is then not uh, responsible for um, rejecting the offer. It all lies in the decree. It all lies in what God has determined anyways. And so therefore, uh, preaching and, and evangelism and, and sharing our faith and, and telling others and praying is really only meant for the elect because God really can't be sincerely meant as, as offering and calling everyone to faith. And so the sincere offer of the gospel is denied. And what uh, develops is a sort of hard, coarse type of Person, Their whole view of themselves, uh, their whole view of God uh, is warped. God, of course, wants himself uh, displayed in a certain fashion. God wants the message heralded in a certain way. That God does not delight in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn. That they believe. That they look to Christ. We can uh, 
Think of the Lord Jesus looking out at Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, how I, I long to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. This whole presentation of the gospel in that way, this sincere plea to come, can be thwarted and people can be distressingly lopsided. On the one hand, Romans 9 tells us very clearly, God hardens whom He will, and that is the fact. That is the way it is. And yet today, God presents Himself with His arms stretched. Come. Come to Me and find life, and you will live. Come to My Son. Trust in Him. God's ways and God's thoughts are beyond us. Well, today... Paul is answering this objection, this, this confusion, uh, that, that Israel must have failed because God just didn't put the means in place for Israel to, uh, to know about Christ and to believe in Christ or to receive Christ's righteousness. That's the issue. That's what Paul's dealing with here in Romans chapter 10. And Paul responds to this by saying God always had the means in place. God always had the means in place to receive Christ's righteousness. But many rejected. Many rejected. And that was not, and that is not God's fault. And He wants that set before us so that, of course, as Christians, that those of us who've all trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ would be in all of what He has, has done for us. But He wants us to understand everything is in place. Everything was clear to Israel. The gospel was heralded. They heard about the Lord Jesus. And that's why the New Testament comes with this same message and it says of Hebrews chapter 3, Beware, brethren, brethren, Christians, lest there be in you, in any of you, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Well, in verses 14 and 15, you'll notice that, that the apostle is working backward. He's working backwards, and what he is uh, essentially doing here is showing us that God has done everything. God has put everything into place for a sinner to be saved and to receive the imputation of Christ's righteousness. And remember, in this whole section, uh, in Romans chapter 10, what he is um, particularly doing here is showing how the Gentiles received this, how the Gentiles attained to this how they attained to this righteous standard that, that God demands and how they received Christ's righteousness. How so? Well, that's what we're looking at uh, this afternoon. Remember what he said in verse 4. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. That comes by faith. We don't bring it to us. We considered this morning. We don't climb the ladder to God ourselves. We don't enter that gate ourselves. We are brought to the gate. The gate is lowered to us. Christ comes to us and Christ fulfills for us. And this is where Israel failed. This is precisely what Israel rejected. And Paul said something shocking. What he said in following in verse 5 and and, and in, in verse 8, he said, He himself is in your mouth and in your hearts. And the sure promise, which makes Romans 10 just the most wonderfully comforting passage for the Christian. The sure promise is that you believe upon Him in your hearts and confess Him in your mouths. You 
will be saved. It's wonderful. It's just wonderful. Believe and confess. You will be saved. Believe them in the heart. You will be saved. But how did Christ come to us? How did He get into our mouths and in our hearts? That's the the great burden that the Apostle is is now uh, wrestling through and that he's making clear to the Romans. Uh, How did Christ come to you? How is He near? How did He get in your mouths? How did He arrive in your hearts? And Paul's saying, God did this for you. Everything's put in place. Everything is put in place. And so notice in verses 14 and 15, working backwards, he analyzes uh, what happens when somebody truly becomes saved. Notice he works backwards. How shall they call on him and whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? That's wonderful because uh, what he just outlined for us is that is that God put in place five necessities for the sinner to be saved. Five necessities that, that, that He ordained and that He declared and that He has put in place for us to receive Christ and to have Him in our mouths and in our hearts. The first thing that must happen is that God, you'll notice here if we just broke this down into the five things, uh, that God must send the messenger to you with the news. And so, because no one can be saved without the hearing of Christ, uh, Jesus said in, in Matthew 9 that, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. It's our responsibility that we should be asking the Lord and praying to the Lord to raise up men to come and to be sent. That's the first necessity, is that men be sent to the ends of the earth with the treaty, the, the, the message, the, the treaty seals of God's covenant, the message, the Bible, the Word of God, that they be sent with that Word to preach, to bear His news, the good news, the good news of the Gospel. And this happens with any servant. You look to the Old Testament, God would, would raise up servants. I, I particularly think of Jeremiah. Uh, the Lord would touch his mouth uh, to show that he was ordained and that he was sent truly sent by the Lord to go and to to preach, to preach the Word. The next uh, great necessity he gives here is that it be preached. He sends the messenger, and then the messenger preaches uh, the Word, uh, the Word that God has given. Not his own insights, uh, not his own stories, not personal anecdotes from his own personal experience. Uh, What God has given him to preach, this is what he's called to do. And so the preacher is sent, he, uh, he proclaims a message that is, is foolishness to this world, but is the, the power of God to save those who believe. And so the third necessity then is hearing. How shall they hear, he says. Literally, uh, verse 14 says, How shall they believe in the one whom they have not heard? Who are they hearing? Who are they hearing? Well, the people recognize that it's not the man they're hearing. This is the... Uh, the great thing that has to be uh, understood today with preaching, because preaching has been so devalued, it's not the man. The, 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 the minister's great cry is that he would, would decrease and that Christ would increase. And so what he is saying here is that one does not believe unless they recognize whom is speaking to them. These are the words of Christ. Jesus affirmed this. My sheep hear my voice. And they respond. They come. 
His voice goes out to the ends of the earth as these things are put into place. And the necessity is that uh, the people, that we would all hear the word for what it is, and that's a tough sell today. Um, People do not come to sit under the word anymore. They come to sit above it. We come to sit under the word of God and not in a highly judgmental, critical spirit over the word. We receive it like a Berean, and we search it to see if the things that are said are so, but receive it as it is the Word of God. And that's why Jesus said, He who rejects you rejects me. The message is Christ's message. So, messenger's the postman. The messenger bears the message. And and then he gives the fourth necessity. Uh, How will they believe in the one whom they've not heard? So believing is the fourth. You must believe in the heart. The sinner is convinced of his lost state. He's convinced of his need for Christ. And he rests and believes in the heart upon this Christ. And then he gives the fifth necessity. That Christ is the way of escape. He becomes beautiful. They fall on him. And what happens? They call. They call upon him. We looked at that this morning where where sinners call. Jesus, save me. Save me. Deliver me from my sin. And those are the five necessities. Now, we went through those, through those quickly, but what the apostle is doing here is saying, uh, God has done everything necessary. He's put it all here for you. Every week, your ministers stand up and they, they do this. They're sent. And, and, and this is how salvation occurs. This is how faith is created. And he always has done this. From the very beginning, uh, he raised up preachers after the fall. And this is how God has saved all throughout history. And that should give us a great heart for missions. That should give us a great heart uh, to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. I want to encourage any young young men here who are thinking about ministry. Uh, we are, are called to encourage you to that end. Um, you receive an internal call, but that is confirmed externally. But we need to encourage that. We need to pray that the Lord would send. This is a beautiful thing. Think about how the effect of one gospel preacher the Lord sends can affect all of you. That's a wonderful, us and our children for years to come. God has put this into place. Now, what, what is the apostle doing here? Why is he doing all this? What is the explanation? Well, what he is doing here is he's saying this is not a New Testament phenomenon. <laughs> this is not just a New Testament phenomenon. I think we think that. I think we think as the New Testament, we gather and we do this, the, the, the word and sacrament ministry, but that this is all new. And, and, and Paul is essentially saying and making it very clear, none of this is new. None of this is new. He cites Isaiah 52 to prove this. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. It's an Old Testament text. It's as if the Lord is saying to us, let me show you who, in my eyes, really beautiful people are. I would imagine here this afternoon there are a lot of women who've painted their feet. They've soaked them. They've made them smell nice. And I would always encourage a woman to do that. But that does not ultimately define beauty. Why are feet beautiful before the Lord? Feet are beautiful in God's eyes. The kind of feet that are beautiful in God's eyes are pictured as leather-beaten, 
bloody, cut up, dirty feet that come from a great distance sent to you to bring the message that you could hear and be saved. I'm taken to the scene of Christ where He had these very dirty feet and uh, the uh, disciples are sitting there and it was a custom to wash feet in that day, and, and there Jesus girds Himself, and he, he grabs the, the cloth, and you could imagine the disciples saying, what in the world are you doing? And Peter reacts against it, and he says, no, no, I need to wash yours. And Jesus says, no, if I don't do this, you have no part with me. And, and, and this is the whole picture of what the New Testament gospel deliverance is, is that every week the Lord through His servants comes and He washes your feet. He washes your feet through the preaching of the gospel, through your pastors. Those are the feet that are beautiful to Him, sent to you. That you should be overwhelmed with, with thankfulness that enjoy that God would send feet to you to preach His message to save you. What I'm saying is, there's a recognition in this whole section that God Himself has sent you in this place, two servants to preach, to wash your feet, to cleanse you through the message, and to proclaim that there's this wonderful way of escape through His Son. God has done this from the beginning, all the way in the early periods of Genesis. We, we think of people like Enoch, who was uh, a preacher of righteousness, and Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness, and and God, throughout the Old Testament, always raised up all these preachers, all the, the prophets, and they were preachers. They stood and they proclaimed the counsel of the Lord. And God evangelized the world this way, and He still does today. Jerusalem sat as a beacon of light where the gospel was preached. Everything's in place, Paul's saying. Everything was always in place. But... You know, we like but nows, you know. Uh, in Ephesians, you get the, the glorious but now, God who is rich in his, his, his mercy. We get a lot of these in the Bible, but there's a really difficult one here. But they. But they. And I'm moved by what the apostle says at this point, because it's difficult. It's difficult to hear and it's difficult to preach. He says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Now in your translation it says all the Israelites, but in the Greek it's the word there is pontes, all. He's all inclusive here. What he's saying is that not all have believed this message. And Paul is, is applying this universally. Uh, there will always be people who reject this. There uh, will always be, regardless of where you go and to whom you preach, uh, even if it's in the church, this is a very sad reality, but they have not, because he's looking at the Old Testament covenant community, they have not all obeyed the gospel. God put everything in place. He sent beautiful feet preaching the word. And what's the reality? Isn't it a striking way of speaking? Obeyed the gospel. Uh, when Christ came and... and uh, the first thing out of his mouth and is, is the beginning of his earthly ministry was repent and believe. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It came as a, a command. And the first issue raised was, was repentance, the necessity and the law preaching. 
crushing law preaching so that the uh, the sinner would see the errors of his way and, and turn and that he needed to escape and that he needs to come. And, and uh, as we looked at this morning to this, this narrow gate, who is Christ, that he might have a righteousness that will be able to, to stand the scrutiny of God's justice. And so the minister does this. It comes. It, it, he unveils. And, and he calls, look to Christ, come to Him, flee to Him. He will give you life. But the Old Testament, and the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 10 that all these things were written as examples for us. Uh, the Old Testament shows us this painful reality that not all believed. And that's what Paul's wrestling with in, in Romans 9 and 10. And that's what he's dealing with here, that they uh, would not humble themselves and, and turn to Christ. And I, I think of Elijah at the, the moment of the great apostasy uh, in Israel. Uh, remember what happened. Remember his great cry to the Lord. Lord, the Israelites have rejected your covenant and, and they've broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me too. You know, Isaiah, how would you like this for a, a mission? You know, go, make the heart of this people dull. What? Do what? Make the heart of the people dull? Go, but no one's going to hear you, Isaiah. That's just such a painful reality. It was judgment. It was judgment for rejecting. It's never something you really expect in ministry. It's, uh, you know, God has told us it would be so, and you go in and you, as a minister, you think, well, everyone's just going to love the word preached and they're, they're going to be excited to hear the word preached every week as we deliver Christ and all of His beauty. And that's not always the case. And it's distressing to the minister. But God has told us it will be so. And I have uh, seen this where men are raised up and they have gone to people and uh, they've preached the gospel and nothing happens. It's like they, they just hit a wall. These people will not repent and they end up rejecting the message and the messenger. I say I hear wonderful reports about this church. I'm very thankful for the church that I pastor. Uh, warm receiving of the word preached is what I, I hear. And that's a reason to rejoice. But we're told in advance here something. We're warned that not all will obey this. Not all will hear this. And why does this happen? I mean, that's just the great burden here. Why does this happen? Let's give you the reason that's here. I was pondering this and it struck me. Look at verse 16. Second part. It's something Isaiah says. Lord, who has believed our report? You know, of all the verses to prove unbelief, I, I read that and I don't think that's the best one. I could have gone to a lot of verses to show unbelief in the Old Testament. Why in the world, under the inspiration of the Spirit, does Paul cite Isaiah, Lord, who has believed our report? And I read this and I, I thought about it and it just dawned on me. This comes from Isaiah 53. In fact, it's the very first sentence of Isaiah 53. And so I went back and I meditated on Isaiah 53 and I was struck with the negativity of the report. It's all about Christ's sufferings. Here's the language. He has no form or comeliness nor beauty that we should desire Him. He is despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we, on our part, uh, hid our faces from Him. 
He was despised and we did not esteem him. So in other words, we hated him. He has borne our griefs and carried literally our pains. Yet we reckoned him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted and wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, our sins. And what is the truth about us in that report? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every single one to his own and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheer sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You get it? Here's the report. The report is of a bloody, crucified Savior who's not beautiful at all in our estimation. He was split open with uh, the report is a, a gruesome, horrible death where his grave was made with the wicked. God himself smoting him. Why did God do that to his son? Because of your rebellious hearts and my rebellious heart. Because we're always going astray in our hearts. Because you're always turning to your own way. That's the report. I would do real well on the church health and wealth scorecard if I never preached a message like that. You know? I could gain a lot of hearing in Linden if I told all my congregation they were beautiful people. And that Jesus is just here to fix us a little bit, fix our our bad self-esteem problems. I said this morning I might even get a glass cathedral out of that. My preaching, if our preaching was a little more upbeat, a little more dynamic if we smiled more, if we made the atmosphere relaxed and not so pressing, Uh, if we gave talks with a nicer tone, you know, uh, to help you along your journeys and to press forward. If I gave more pictures and object lessons, I think it would work. I really believe we could produce a bigger church in Linden if I did all that. Further, it wouldn't offend people if I preached so long as if I, if I showed them sin, but I made them feel worthy enough to receive the gospel, you know? But that's not the report. That's not the report. Isaiah 53 says, an undesirable Savior was cruelly murdered, suffered a horrible death, and it's our fault. It was our sin that caused that because we've always gone astray in our hearts. And you know, let me just say, the great, one of the greatest sermons ever preached was right out of Acts at the beginning where 3,000 were converted. You know the content of that sermon? The content of that sermon was this, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. It was Stephen standing up and saying, uh, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. That is crushing preaching. And the result? When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they, some gnashed their teeth. 
But two responses, really. A lot repented and were baptized. And a lot gnashed their teeth. Two responses. Remember the two types of religion this morning. Each response appropriate to each kind of religion. And you see, you either hear that message and get angry because you refuse to hear the truth about yourself, at least as God has defined it, and call out in true faith upon Christ, or you drop to your knees and you beat your chest and see that it's the most beautiful report that could ever be given to a lost sinner. It's beautiful. It's a way, the way of escape. And I've come to the conclusion when Isaiah asked the question, uh, who has believed our report and why have not all obeyed the gospel? It comes down to one issue. People despise grace. People despise sheer grace. It's a hard message for us. The message, as we looked at this morning, takes everything away from us. The report says you can do nothing. You cannot save yourself. You cannot even seek yourself. You can't find on your own. There's nothing good in you. The report says, I find nothing lovely in you. You're nobodies with no claim on my favor and without the imputation of the righteousness of my son to your account, which I do freely by grace, you'll never make it. That message is very difficult for a hardened sinner to accept. Very difficult. It's offensive to the legalist tied to his externals. It's offensive to the person who refused to hear the truth about himself. It's offensive to all. Now here's the point. Verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You hear a summary. True belief in the heart comes by hearing Christ through the message preached. It's through this message summed up in Isaiah 53 that God chooses to save. That's His primary means and choice to save. When the heart is warmed to Christ, it hears that message and it clings to Him. It rests upon Him. And God is pleased. God is pleased to grant that sinner righteousness and life. That's what Corinthians said. The Corinthian church was really struggling. How, how do we be effective in this high-tech environment uh, where everyone's doing all these other things? How do we be effective? And Paul said, look, how you're effective is preaching a foolish message to this world that is God's chosen power to save. That's how you're effective. You stay true to that. God will give the results. God will give the results. And so, Paul turns now to the ultimate question of Romans 9. Has God's word failed with regard to Israel? And Paul says very plainly in in the final verses of Romans 10 uh, that all Israel heard this report that you just heard today. They heard it. Um, This very message that was I'm proclaiming, that your pastors proclaim to you in season and out of season, Israel heard. They did what we're doing. They sat and they listened. And Paul raises maybe some excuses that would come to mind in verse 18. But I say, have they not heard? He's right back to Israel. Have they not heard the report? Was the gospel not preached to them? And he quotes Psalm 19. Their sound has gone out to the in all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. That psalm speaks of 
of general revelation and special revelation. Israel had the law and the prophets. Well, the next question follows. Maybe in my mind it would be, maybe they didn't see Christ in the law and the prophets. Maybe they didn't hear the gospel in the law and the prophets. And and what does Paul say in verse 19? But I say, did Israel not know? (laughs) Know the report? Yeah, they knew the report. Did Israel not understand that all these things pointed to Christ? Yes, they had a whole sacrificial system that told them this. And then he goes right to Moses and he says, look, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. You know what he's saying? They knew the gospel, and they knew the gospel really clear because they got angry that the Gentiles were appropriating Christ by faith alone and not by the works of the law. The Jews hated the Gentiles and became really jealous. Why? Because they knew the Scriptures were being fulfilled, that all the promises to Abraham, which came by faith in Christ, were being received by all the nations in the earth. And that message of grace they despised because they treasured their uniqueness and their law-keeping. The Jews were jealous. They knew it well. Who are these dogs to attain a righteousness above us? By faith in Christ. And so the Jews didn't want Christ's righteousness. And so this just proves the point, the most difficult message for the the sinner to receive. And this is what Paul's challenging with us, is this message. It's difficult. The message of free grace. And Paul answers that really here where I think of Isaiah 5, what more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? But to Israel, he says... Notice here in Romans 10, the end. All day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. God is portrayed with His arms open. We picture Christ with His arms open to the Jews. Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come. Come to Me. I long to gather you. Lord, who has believed our report? The prophets say, not all. Christ says, not all. And Paul learned the same thing. And so, we see this in the world, I suppose, but it challenges us. You know, I do talk to pastors and, and they, they struggle. They long to struggle to see Heartfelt response to the gospel in their people. Heartfelt response that believes in the heart that this message is life transforming. And at times it's discouraging because some could take it or leave it, it seems. If you looked at their lives, is there really an obeying of the gospel? Is, is, is there really repentance? Is there, is there really heart belief in Christ? Or is it just mere presumption or tied to a tradition? You know, like the Pharisees. What is it? Is the Bible treasured? Is the Word of God? Have I really looked to Christ as my righteousness? Has the gospel affected me? You know? 
Has it been life transforming to a rotten sinner like me? And God sends preacher after preacher. You know, preachers will come and go. I will come and go. Pastor Bradenhoff, Pastor Vischer will come and go. And every week we sit in our studies and, and, and we try best to do uh, prayerfully what Second, you know, uh, Timothy 3 says, convince, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and, and patience. Um, we prayerfully try to convince you of the beauty of this report, the gloriousness of this report, that it would be life transforming in your hearts and in your minds. And we see it. It's wonderful when we see it. It's the greatest encouragement because we know the Spirit of God is working. And so we make the pleas. Uh, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. We say this. We preach this. It's real. It's effective. It's powerful. Christ has made it so. Turn to this Christ. Believe upon Him. He does not delight in the the death of the wicked, but that they come and they live. But we're ever cognizant of what the Apostle has told us here. Some, some will not. And so the arms are still stretched. The arms are still stretched. Hear Him. You say today, well, what do I need to do? Do I need to go out and start serving more in the life of the church? Do I need to do more? I, I was, I'm always struck with what happened with Mary and Martha. It happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part that will not be taken from her. What was that good part? She sat at His feet and heard. And that's what we do every Sunday. That's what we do every Sunday. When Peter was rambling, remember, what did the Father say? This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Silence. (laughs) Stop talking. Hear Him. Christ becomes the desire of our hearts. That's the promise. This is no discouraging message. This is the most encouraging message that could ever be given. You know why? Because it's a promise to us. It's a wonderful gospel promise to us. The promise is that He didn't put all this in place so that you would not be saved. (laughs) He put all this in place. What we do here every week with these messages, He put all this in place that you would come and that believing in Him in your heart Confessing Him with your mouths and in your lives as you go out into another week, you would, without any measure of a doubt, know indeed that you are saved. That's the whole thrust of Romans 10. God put this in place for you. He did this for you. And He gives you Israel as an example. Don't go down that path. Come to Christ. And be assured. Be assured of His love. Be assured in hearing and trusting in Christ you are indeed saved and have the promise of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. I leave you with the words of First John 2. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us.
eternal life. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.